Welcome to Tell Me Your Story. My name is Josephus Bartua. I've been very fortunate over the years to get to know some amazing, fascinating, and spiritual people. And the goal of this podcast is to create a space so that these people can share their stories and the lessons they've learned along the way. Thank you for listening. Welcome to another episode of Tell Me Your Story. Today I have Collier Winters. He is the campus minister uh, in Boise. Uh, he is such a dear friend of mine. And so, uh, Collier, thank you for joining us, man. Of course. No, grateful to, to be here, man, and good to connect and have some spiritual conversation. Absolutely. Uh, so this is a question I ask every guest. Uh, what is the gospel and how has the gospel impacted your life? Yeah, that's a, that's a good that's a good question. It's a good, good question to start off with. You know, I, I think um, for me, for me, the gospel is everything uh, about who I am and what I do. Um, I, I think about you know, I, even recently, um, I feel like I've been really growing in my understanding of the gospel and just just uh, my love of the gospel. And I'm I'm, I'm mostly I, I guess I first think about Romans one. Um, when Paul talks about him being a servant, you know, being, being, a, being an apostle and, and a messenger of the gospel, of the good news. And he goes on to describe what that is and um, that, that Jesus Christ was declared to be the son of God uh, through his resurrection. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, I guess in its simplest definition, the gospel is the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's the, the announcement that Jesus is king. Um, that the kingdom of heaven's coming to the earth and, and Jesus brings that about. And then I think our response then is, you know, what, what are we going to do about that? Yeah. If, if Jesus is king, uh, are we going to accept that or not? And, and that's, that's kind of on, on our end, how we respond to that good news. So yeah. I think um, personally, it gospel saved me, brought me salvation, and, and uh, it continues to, to sanctify me, use a fancy biblical word, but... Yeah. It continues to help me, you know, become more like more like Jesus. Yeah. So, no, yeah. Rom- Romans one for me it is such a powerful book, uh, a powerful chapter in a, a powerful book, but such a powerful chapter in helping me to understand the gospel. I think of Romans one seventeen, sixteen, seventeen. Yeah. He talks about how I am not ashamed of the gospel because yeah. the power of God that brings salvation, and the gospel itself has power um, that yeah. brings salvation that helps people to change and that. And, and, and Romans 1, verse 1, Paul talks about, you know, being a servant. And, you know, that word, Greek word there is doulos. And mm-hmm. how I think of, like, how he says that all over you know, all his epistles. Like, I'm a servant. I'm like, you think, you know, he's like this apostle, like this great guy who's learned so much. He goes, yeah, I'm just a servant of this gospel yeah. message, of this good yeah. news message. Yeah. Um, servant this, of the king. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so... You were a quarterback uh, at Harvard. Whenever I'm studying the Bible with athletes, I always bring up your story. I share your story on all my Bible studies with athletes on campus. But, yeah. yeah, how is it like being a quarterback for Harvard? Sometimes I go back and I just watch your highlights. I'm a fan. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, how is it like being a, a quarterback for Harvard? Um, you know, that was quite a quite an opportunity I, I had in life to be able to to go to Harvard, you know, just that alone is is pretty special. Um, but uh, I'm grateful for football because that definitely opened the door for me to be able to go. And, um, you know, I think gro- growing up, football was all I cared about, dreamed about, you know, wanted to do. Um, I, I played all sports, but but I just fell in love with, with football. And uh, actually started out as a running back 
but then uh, you know by the time kind of junior high and high school came around, I transitioned to quarterback and and just um, really really love love the game of football and the position of quarterback and kind of everything that goes along with that. And so, um, but it's, anyway, I, I had a dream always to be a big like D one quarterback and you know play in the NFL and and all that. And so. Um, coming out of high school, being, being undersized, uh, and, and, uh, being five, you know, six foot on the roster, but maybe, you know, five <laughs> eleven. uh, you know, I had less opportunities than maybe I would have if I was six, three, six, four, but, um, had some smaller school, you know, D one school offers and, um, was, was really trying to figure out, you know, where, where's the best fit for me, best place for me. And then Harvard kind of came along a little later in their recruiting and, um, I think the first letter they sent me, I actually threw it away because it just wasn't, it wasn't at all like I, I was just wanting to play football. Yeah, uh, didn't have any dreams of doing Ivy League or anything like that. But um, then my dad found the letter and we had a good talk, and so <laughs> uh, ended up, you know, really checking it out and really, I think, coming to see the the great football program they have there, and then also, you know, understanding like what it means to have a degree from Harvard. Yeah. So, so it, it, for me, it was. It was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. Yeah. And, um, you know, a great goal that I was able to accomplish in my football career as well to be able to play college football and be a, be a starting college quarterback. And so I, I just – everything from practice to workouts to games, I mean, I, I pretty much loved all of it. So yeah. I, I really enjoyed my whole time there. When did you become a starter for Harvard? Um, I, I played a little bit as – as the Wildcat quarterback my freshman year. So I'd come in and do, do some running plays here and there. But um, then my sophomore year, I got injured. So I had a, a medical redshirt that year. And so my my redshirt sophomore year was my first year to start. Nice. Now, yeah. as a quarterback in, in the quarterback room, you, you know, you have all the other quarterbacks there. And so how yeah. did you try to be supportive of the other quarterbacks, but then also kind of compete. You're like, okay, there's only one guy can be a quarterback <laughs> yeah. for this team, but I want to be a supportive teammate. How did you balance those two sure. things out? That's, that's a good and tough question, man. Because <laughs> you, know, you see, like, you see Brett Favre saying, exactly. you know, I, I don't care about Aaron Rodgers, I'm, I'm here. And then you see other guys who are more supportive or yeah. even Drew Bledsoe. He's like, you mean he's, like Tom Brady, like he kind of orchestrated the trade for Jimmy G, yeah. you know, because yeah. it's kind of hard. <laughs> sure, right, right, right. So you see different guys kind of take on different attitudes with that type of situation. And, and it's when, when there's one guy, it's tough because uh, it, it certainly is a competition. And um, especially for court, everybody wants to be the guy. Yeah. So it's hard to have that attitude and have a super supportive attitude. But <laughs> I, I think I think for me, you know, I tried to I tried to balance the, the pure competition on the field with friendship off the field mm. and, um, and I think too being being confident enough where like especially younger guys I want to help set them up for success and you know to see them do well after I leave and so um, so, so I'm going to be willing to help them out and you know show them I think what whatever it is that helps make me successful and um, but still I think having the confidence like hey I'm still going to win that position out and uh, you know e even if even if they become better, I'm going to make sure that I'm becoming better yeah. so that, uh, you know, I can hold my spot. But, um, yeah, I think just best you can having friendship off the field really helps. Yeah. So yeah. how did you become a Christian Collier? Yeah, man. Um, I became a Christian, 
at the end of my sophomore year. So kind of coming off that injury that I had um, during the season and we were in off season. I was kind of uh, finished with my rehab and everything. And uh, my, my teammate, Josue, he was a defensive lineman for us. He had actually went to a, a God and Science event. That's Har- Har- Harvard held this God and Science event with Douglas Jacoby. He came in. If anybody listening knows Douglas Jacoby, uh, he came and spoke about God and how it, you know it makes sense even even with all this science that we know. And th- those two aren't enemies. You know they they work together uh, and they complement each other. But but he went to that and then um, he met Glenn Petruzzi and started studying the Bible with Glenn. And they they studied the Bible on and off for a year or so this was freshman year when when Josue came out and um, when he first came out. And so and then eventually he, he decided to get baptized. And we were having a conversation in the locker room one day. Um, we hadn't really had any spiritual conversations up until that point. But he invited me out to church to come see him get baptized. Wow. And, wow. you know, I, I hadn't since I had been to school, I hadn't really uh, made the habit of going to church, uh, even though, you know, I kind of grew up with it. But. But um, but I thought you know I'll go one to just support him because uh, he invited me and yeah. and because I hadn't been in church in a while I thought yeah maybe that's a good thing to do and um, so from there I I went you know I that was the first time at, at church and I think uh, initially a few things really stuck out to me is just one that that the people really were excited to be there and they had a genuine love for each other that was that was something I you know wasn't used to and. And also, it was just such so many different types of people. I think that was really cool to see, and and also different from from what I had known before. And um, and so that initially kind of drew me. You know, the the hugs and everything didn't. That was a little awkward. That was, a little, <laughs> that was also different, and maybe not a positive way at the beginning. Um, but um, but I met Glenn there as well. You know, he was working as a campus minister at Harvard at the time, and and uh, he just asked me to grab lunch and study the Bible, and, and so um, so I said sure, and I think mostly because I just didn't want to tell him no. So, uh, <laughs> so we started getting together and that was the first time for me really, like, even yeah. though I grew up in church, actually reading the Bible and, um, understanding what Jesus says and what it looks like to follow him. And I think that was, a, that was for sure. That was a really, um, radical transformative time for me, um, making some big decisions and really seeing my need for repentance and, and all those things. Um, so, and then I think, you know, eventually just got to the point of realizing, understanding how someone gets saved, you know, how someone fully responds to the gospel, faith and repentance, and then getting baptized. And so yeah. I got baptized on uh, Easter Sunday, 2009. Nice. That was my sophomore year. Yeah. Come on, man. That's awesome. After graduating Harvard, you had lots of opportunities. You could have gone to work on Wall Street and be making six figures easy. I mean, you could have worked anywhere because with that Harvard connection, you you could have made some connections and just go and work at, at some huge hedge fund company or something like that. But yeah. you made the decision to go into the ministry um, and make less money than you would have made <laughs> a otherwise. Bit, a little bit less. Yeah. Why did you make the decision to go into the ministry? I think for me, man, I, you know, I, I had um, I went to Harvard and kind of the the path in my mind was either, you know, keep playing football after school and hopefully play in the NFL or maybe CFL, which, you know, I, I did get a short little time in the CFL preseason with Montreal. So, yeah. you know, but even during that time, I was kind of wrestling with really what I what I most wanted to pursue with my life. 
and um, and I was praying a lot about it. But it was either NFL or or go work for an investment firm and make a ton of money. Like that was my original plan, yeah. and then that that definitely got disrupted as I uh, you know really learned what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so I think when it came come down to it, it's just I was thinking about my life in terms of you know how can I have the most impact you know how can i make most uh, make the most of my life my time here on earth and the idea of having eternal impact um outweighed anything that i felt like i could do you know in in an earthly sense or physical sense and so um if i had the opportunity to be able to devote more or most or all of my time to to serving god and building his kingdom and and offering people salvation yeah and and really seeing not just impacting people's lives, but, but eternities. Um, I think that for me was, was the most compelling thing is, is that I can, that I can spend my life having eternal impact. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my first ever sort of Bible talk experience, getting baptized in the summer of 2013 and spending that whole summer with you at Harvard and just, just seeing how hard you worked on campus mm-hmm. and just seeing you, I was seeing Bible studies with you, Bible studies after Bible studies, seeing you lead Bible studies, thinking, Man, what Collier is doing is what I want to do with my life, and, and mm. you really inspired me to go into the ministry as well. But um, I mean, I mean you- no, I remember that summer, man. It was a fun summer. It was a it was a hard summer in terms of uh, seeing fruit, but yeah. uh, we worked hard. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. That was a fun fun summer. Yeah. Um, so you've gone from yeah being a quarterback to being a campus minister. Like how? Yeah. What leadership skills did you learn in the football world? being a quarterback mm. or just being a great teammate. Um, yeah. How does that translate to being a good minister as well? Because I played football in high school. It was not quite the Harvard level, but some of those skills you learn as a football player kind of relates to, to being a campus minister. So how has that relate to you? Sure. Yeah. I mean, on, the, probably the biggest thing and the first thing that comes to mind is learning perseverance. Hmm. Um, hard work and discipline are definitely a part of it. Definitely, you know, things that I would – just learned in my character from sports and football that I was able to, you know, and still do carry over into my ministry because I think hard work and discipline um, is a, is a big requirement for the job here, you know, to just because you're on your own a lot, you kind of got to self-motivate. And, and so uh, it's a, it's a tough job in that way. But, um, but perseverance, I think stands out to me because um, even in college, I had a couple injuries. There was things, that I had to, mm. to fight through and to persevere through, um, you know, challenges along the way and different, different tests, different battles that you, that you face kind of within the, the sports arena and the football field. And I, that carry over into life, but I think really carry over into, into my faith and into my ministry. Cause there's when, when things are going well and easy and, you know, you're seeing baptisms, you're seeing fruit in your life and other people's lives. It's easy to, you know, it's easy to, to feel good about that and feel excited about the ministry then. But then when you have some, some dry spells, some difficult times, when things are more challenging, yeah. um, that's really when I think your faith is tested and your perseverance is tested. And so I think just being able to, I, I think that's probably for me, one of the biggest things about my ministry uh, career that I feel like, you know, I've really, um, lived out is is perseverance yeah and there's been really awesome times and really hard times and and um but just being able to persevere and knowing that if um i'm doing the right things if i'm faithful to god 
then then God's going to bless that now or later. But but he's you know, if I'm planting in water and sowing seeds, God's going to make those things grow. So, yeah, yeah, I would, I would say perseverance. Amen. And now you're in Boise. You've been there for a year now, right? Yep. Just yep. We're going on year number two on yeah. campus. Yeah, you've been there for a year now. How's it been going building the campus ministry in Boise? You started out with like zero people. It was just you and your wife and your yeah. two kids. Um, how have you seen God move? Is there any particular victory story that you just go, man, God really moved. I saw the spirit moving in that way. Yeah. You know, it It was. It was It was an actual zero. I mean, we had zero students. There wasn't even like a, a kingdom kid who was going to school there. It was just... Um, we showed up on campus with two kids and had to figure it out. And, uh, you know, I, I was excited for that. You know, I was really grateful and excited for that opportunity because to me that was a really uh, exciting challenge and adventure. Um, but um, the first semester was definitely a grind, just trying to trying to meet people, trying to learn learn about the campus. You know, learn how just learn about the the Boise State students and and kind of what's um, what's going on there. So. And, you know, all this, all the while, just like having a home for the first time and and having to, you know, live in a new place and just just a whole new different environment and surroundings. And so, yeah, the first semester was tough. I mean, even even finding a rhythm, doing ministry with two little kids, uh, especially campus ministry. Yeah, is uh, is tough. Oh, know? absolutely. So, <laughs> you know about it. Yeah. But uh, but just, I think it took us a good semester or so to, to feel kind of like we found a decent rhythm to things. Um and it also took a full semester to really find find the right people. And the beginning of the spring semester, um, met a guy named Dom who was walking around, and he was, um, you know, he he kind of grown up with some faith, but was just discontented with life and in even just the religion that he saw. And and he was really looking. He, mm. he was just in, in a place where he was looking to to have impact with his life, and and he knew that was that he wanted it to be for God, but just hadn't really found the right time or the right people and the right, right thing. And, uh, cause he was sharing about how he wanted to be successful in business. And then one day start his own church. That was our first conversation on campus. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, this, this is the guy, this is the guy that, yeah. uh, we're going to start things off with and, and really build together with. And so, you know, a couple of weeks later he got baptized and he's, he's been faithful and, and just, he, he's inspired for this semester to really see God move in more powerful ways. But, but that was kind of the, that, that kicked things off and opened doors for us. And so, you know, from there, we've had um, a couple of students who are moving in to be students at Boise State this Come fall. On, man. Had a few baptisms. And so, so we're starting this semester off with, with seven students and uh, hoping, that, hoping that to be more and more soon. Yes. From zero to seven. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and so you are a preacher. I love your, just hearing you preach. Um Amen. But how do you go about writing your sermons? What is your process like? If you get a passage, you go, this is a passage I want to preach about. Or if you get assigned a passage, how do you go yeah. from that, maybe a week prior to that, prior to Sunday, how do you go from getting the passage to writing the sermon to actually preaching it on Sunday morning? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I've kind of honed in that practice over time and feel like I have a decent um, kind of pattern or way I go about it. If I, I probably prefer actually just, just getting a passage. Um, you know, I think topical things are helpful at times. And if I need to preach a certain message, then, um, then, you know, I'll go find the passage and, yeah. and, and preach it. But, but I really enjoy just, 
just getting a passage and then having to to read that, to dig into it, to understand it, um, you know, to to look in some commentaries and things if I need to. But but just to really reflect on what the what the word of God says and and have a good grasp of it. And then from there, like if I'm, if I'm able to kind of outline it in my mind, what what's being communicated in the passage, then um, then I'll try to throughout the week, I'll just whether it's like send myself an email or I have, you know, a little paper on my desk that I'll, I'll just write notes. Um, maybe it's a point that I feel like I really want to make strongly or, or an illustration that comes to mind. And so really throughout the week, I'll just be filling up that Google doc or paper or whatever it is with, uh, with thoughts, with ideas, with, with, with other passages that I think connect that might be helpful and, and try to fill that up with as much stuff and information as I can. Um, and I think throughout that time, just really spending a lot of time in prayer. And then by the time that weekend rolls around, you know, Friday, Saturday, um, then I'm, then I'm really trying to take all that I've written down for the week and put that into a really simple outline. Um, and do, you do, do you do word for word or are you, um, kind of just do an outline? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll try to start as big as I can. So like intro thought, if I'm going to have a couple points or, you know, at least t really things that I want to, you know, hit. It, it, now, I think more recently, I'm trying to make like one big point in the sermon rather than having like three three different points, mm -hmm. uh, which I definitely, you know, grew up on the on the three points, which I think is helpful. But but I I, I think for me, people can often not digest three points. Yeah. And, uh, and so I'm just, I, I think I try to focus it around one, one idea or one point and then, um, make a really simple outline. So like it's clear in my mind. And then I'll try to fill that in with, with all the stuff, either other scriptures or illustrations or things that, that fit within the outline. Um, and then I usually have to cut quite a bit of stuff that I've put together for the week, um, in order to fit it within the time frame or, or keep things you know flowing well. So, um, I, I used to, I used to write it more word for word yeah. and, and I'm trying to, um, just keep whittling it down to less and less. Cause I feel, um, I feel now that I'm had some time to be trained in speaking, I feel more comfortable not having to, to read off the notes or, you know, glance down at the notes a lot, as long yeah. as I just have a clear flow in my mind of where I'm going. And so, um, yeah. And then I'll, you know, I'll spend Sunday morning really praying a lot. And, um, I, I, I just pray, I think for me to really, uh, speak God's message and, and not mine. And, yeah. and I really try to try to go after, pursue that throughout the week. And so that Sunday when I get up there and preach, I'm filled with faith in the Holy spirit and, and allowing God to work through me, uh, as best I can. Yeah. Let's drill that on that a little bit. What is the role of prayer when it comes to preparing a sermon? Um, I, I love that you mentioned that, um, just preparing the, the preacher to preach, but even just praying before you go up there to preach. As a preacher, yeah. what is the, what's that role of a prayer? I mean, I think it's huge. I, f for me, um, I think I need it because, again, I don't, I don't want to preach my own message. Mm -hmm. I don't want to preach my own words. And I, I really I want to say what God wants me to say. I want, I want, it, I want him to be speaking through me. And, um, and so I, I need, you know, praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit, praying to be filled with, with faith, praying to be filled with, with love for, for the people who I'm speaking to. You know, it's it's that's why I'm preaching is, is, is to reach 
an audience. Mm. Um, it's not, it's not to like make people think I'm an impressive speaker or anything like that. Mm. Um, it's, it's to reach people. And so just, just praying for, to be filled with, with love, uh, for whoever I'm speaking to. And it's usually, you know, Sunday morning, the, the church, the disciples, brothers and sisters, and whatever, uh, guests we bring along. But, but just that my motivation is, is because of, is because of love, not because of anything else. And, um, and, and I think on the opposite end, like praying for the audience to have ears to hear, hmm. like, cause that's, I mean, I could preach, I could preach the perfect sermon. I could preach, you know, a better sermon than the Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> if that was possible, you know, but, <clears throat> but if people didn't have ears, ears to hear it, then it would uh, <clears throat> go in one ear out the other and it wouldn't produce anything in their life. So, yeah. um, so I think just, just praying for the hearts of people to hear it and, and to really take it in. Yeah. I love that idea of preaching with love, right? You see that with like Jeremiah, you know, he was preaching, he's weeping. Even Jesus is referred to as Jeremiah in, in the gospels. Um, like he preached, it wasn't just like just dry truth. Like Jesus preached yeah. with love in his heart for these people yeah. he was preaching to. And, and when you're writing your sermon, what is your perspective on, and when you're preaching your sermon even, what is your perspective on, I'm preaching to audience that is made out of disciples, but then I'm also aware that they're visitors, they're people who are not Christians. And yeah. I want to kind of give them an invitation to to repent and change and, and become a Christian. What is yeah. your what is your thinking behind the visitors in the room? Sure. Yeah, I think I think for disciples and and those who aren't um, for both for both crowds, the message they need to hear is the gospel. Yeah, you know, because the gospel message is going to bring someone to to faith and salvation, and and the gospel message is going to continue to to work in in a disciple's life. Right. That they, I think as disciples, we're continually responding to the gospel by right? yeah. the message that Jesus is king and um, he brings salvation and that God's kingdom is coming to the earth. And so so I think um, one way or another, kind of whatever angle I come from, I think we're trying to make Sundays about about the gospel. And it might not be explicitly Jesus died and resurrected and you need to have faith and repent and get baptized every single Sunday. But 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 some message of that one way or another where the gospel is being preached and we're calling people to, yeah. to see Jesus as King, as Lord, and, and to continue to make that decision with Jesus as, as King and as Lord. So, um, I, I think, I think I probably don't think about it too differently. Obviously there, there are two different groups of people. Yeah. And, yeah. um, but I think they both need to hear the gospel. If that makes sense. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> you know, we, we live in this interesting time. Uh, I, 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 we live in an overly therapeutic culture and some of it is good, but some of it can be kind of like, Oh, I come to church to kind of get my ears scratched. You know, I, yeah. I want the preacher to encourage me and love me. I want the preacher to preach a sermon that meet all my needs. So what is the goal of a sermon? Uh, just in big picture, 30,000 foot view. What, what is the goal of a sermon? Um, we definitely want to preach truth and we also want to preach grace. So when you're writing a sermon, what do you, what do you think the goal of a sermon is? Yeah, I appreciate that question, man. You know, I, Joel Osteen comes to mind. I, you can't <laughs> listen to a Joel Osteen sermon and not feel encouraged. You know, he's got a good, good, soft, cushy message every, every Sunday. Um, and, and I think I go, I go back and forth. I mean, I, I don't want to say back and forth. 
I think I kind of ebb and flow. Like definitely, I think people need to hear encouragement. That that is true. Like the the world beats you up, and so yeah. I think people need to be encouraged and uplifted and and uh, and spurred on and all that. And so I, I think having overall having a positive message, uh, I think is important. If it's if it's only you know hellfire and brimstone, I think that's uh, I think that's un, an unbalanced message. But yeah. but for me, like the 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 foundation of it is when I get up to speak, whether it's Sunday morning or it's a Friday night devo or just even you know doing a doing a lesson here at the house with a small group. Like my role, my job, my prayer is that I honor God. Hmm. And if if I'm if I'm honoring God then I'm good. However people hear it, it, you know, they're going to hear it. But if I'm, if I'm really honoring God, preaching the word lovingly, not, not, not softly, but, but lovingly um, and fearlessly, if I'm giving people the truth, the word of God um, with, right, Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. And I think, I think the best that I can do that. And I, I know I'm unbalanced, uh, and not perfect in that way all the time. But, but I think for me, yeah, that's, that's what I try to keep in mind. I think what it's down to is if, if I'm pleasing God, if I'm honoring God yeah. with whatever you're saying, then, um, then I'm good with that. I can live with that. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great way to put it. Just like having the, the mindset of, I just want to honor God with this sermon, yeah. with this devil, with this message. I just want to honor God. That's, that's once you put it in that perspective, then everything else kind of flows, uh, hmm. the right way. Uh, I think for me, as a campus minister, um, I'm working with college students, 85 college students right now in Boston. I think the world kind of makes it seem like compassion and conviction are opposite, right? Mm -hmm. To to have compassion, you can't have any convictions. You have to let go of your conviction to hold on to your compassion, to be compassionate. Um, But you see Jesus doing both in the Gospels. He's compassionate, but then he's... He knows what he believes, and he's standing sure. up for what he believes in. And so how can we imitate Jesus in that way as young people to be compassionate to the world and love the world and love people in the world and, yeah. and lay down our lives and sacrifice and serve them, but then also holding on to our convictions? How can we do both of those things? Yeah, and I think that's that's the key question there. And I don't know that I have a, a perfect answer for that, but I, but I think for me it's, you know what the truth is the the most loving thing to do is not to not to hold hold that back from somebody but but to give them whatever the the truth is but but then to to do that with a sincere and genuine love for the person if you just want to give someone truth because you've got it and they need to know it i think that's a lot different than someone who who genuinely loves and cares about you who who wants to help you see something that that's really uh really important and as far as preaching goes i think I, I, I think if if your life really backs up what you're saying, hmm. I think people give you I, I think people give you a lot more respect for that. If you're just just preaching, everybody's going to hell and you know like attacking the culture, but but you're not actually loving people. You're not actually really living out uh, what you're saying. You're just you know using some words to to make people feel bad or or to you know like be self righteous. Um, then I think the message gets distorted. Hmm. But but if one way or another, not everyone's going to love the truth. I mean, that's what Jesus promises. So, so I think um, our, our job is to simply present it and do that with with love that we see Jesus as He interacts with people and and uh, and and be okay with 
the idea that uh, some people are going to hate us because I, I find that in the scriptures too. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I think for me, what I struggle with is like the road is so narrow, right? Like, mm. you know, and you think like Jesus preached out on the Sermon on the Mount, like, and you think, man, I just want to love people. I just want people to love me. I just want, I just want to be, you know, I want people please a little bit. You know, that's in my nature. And, and just to think, no, I, I got to love people and show people the truth, but understand the road is narrow. Uh, yep. But in your view, what is the biggest threat to the church in North America, in the West, um, mm. just, uh, Christianity as a whole? Like, what is what is some of the threats that you see um, to the church? Yeah, I think that uh, I think that one for me over the past couple of years or so has just become more and more clear, or or maybe more and more concerning. I, I just I feel like there's um as the world moves away from faith, you know, especially America moves away from any kind of Christian ideas, which, um, which I don't consider, you know, America, uh, America, the Christian nation that maybe some people do, but, but I think it was built on some, some, some principles of faith and things like that, that, but, um, you know, I think even now the, the idea of, especially in new England, you know, coming from Boston here, like people are anti-faith, anti-God, anti-religion, um, it, it's getting, I think, a lot more difficult in America to um, to have conviction and to live by live by the word of God. I mean, I'm not too far from Portland now, and you know, Port- Portland's out there, man. I mean, they, they uh, <laughs> they're quite far from really desiring the word of God uh, in, in terms of their culture and what's there. And and so, I don't know that that I honestly don't think that's necessarily the biggest threat because um, as as the darkness and the light kind of further and further separate. I think that's actually a, a good thing. You know, people will really see the differences there. Um, but I think I think for, for the church and those inside the church, I think the biggest danger or threat that I see is is replacing the gospel with something that sounds like the gospel. Hmm. You know, it's it's uh it's it's sort of got some pieces of the gospel message in it and it and it kind of looks and resembles the like the, the gospel, but it's but it's different, you know, it's it's not the gospel as Paul talks about in Galatians one, you know, if anybody comes and preaches to you a different message than the one I gave to you, let them be condemned. Um, but and and the 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 Judaizers right in in that book, I mean, they weren't doing that much to the gospel. They were just adding a couple things in, you know, circumcision and it, let's do some Jewish, add some Jewish tradition in there, and yeah, I guess not that big of a deal. But here, here's the gospel plus or or the gospel sort of, and I think when you get the gospel plus or the gospel sort of like the gospel and not not the true gospel i mean i think that's when people really get led astray because because it kind of looks and sounds like the gospel but it's not and so it's easy to go down some some wrong paths and and, and i think really uh disrupt people's faith yeah that's always the challenge right for us not to be influenced by the culture like Jesus wants us to be in the world, but he doesn't want us to be of the world and not to let what we believe get influenced by the culture in our right. attempt to win the culture. And yeah. then we'll kind of lose the gospel, you know, the most precious thing we have. And so uh, in your view, you're, you're a man's man, uh, I, you know, whether it's just football, whether it's just, just in life. What is God's, as you read the Bible, what is God's expectation for manhood in the Bible? Sure. And I think that's, that's the right way to, to try to define it. You know, if we want to talk about what manhood is, then we probably should 
go and look at uh, what the creator says that it is. If he, if he created manhood, let's go find out from the scriptures yeah. how he defines it. And, um, you know, I think he defines it through through the life of Jesus. Like, if you want to know what it, what it means, what it looks like to really be a man and live as a man and kind of what all the qualities and characteristics go along with that, you can't get any better than Jesus. Um, mm mm-hmm. He is he is the perfection of it all. And and so I think um, the the more that we can really see Jesus in his life and, and understand who he is and his, his character and and how he how he lives, how he interacts with people. Um, I, I think that's how we get closer and closer to that to that right definition of what manhood is. And, you know, I, I, th- I think with Jesus, so there's a lot of nuance, there's a lot of complexity and I, I think whatever whatever worldly ideas either that, that are kind of against the idea you know, like the toxic masculinity or, or they're like su- super manly and, and, and in a in an extreme way like in a in a bad way um, whichever end of the spectrum like I think they're both off right I think Jesus you see things about Jesus that kind of surprise you uh, if you're looking at it from a worldly lens because he is I mean I think just Jesus was in shape. Like he was a in shape guy. He was hardworking guy. He was a carpenter. And like, you see that kind of some, some manly qualities there, but, but then you also see him deeply compassionate and caring for people, even, even weeping uh, with people. Like you see that emotional care and concern and connection. And, and I think both sides of the kind of manhood spectrum, um, they, they miss, uh, just, just how, how well-rounded he is yeah. And, yeah. and and like all the, the depth of quality that he has. And so, so I think, right. Just know, knowing, understanding Jesus and, and that'll point you in the right direction. Yeah. That's yeah. what you see, right. With the Sermon on the Mount, like he preaches this hard sermon. I mean, it's hard hitting. And then he comes down in Matthew chapter eight, he's healing people. He goes from being a prophet to being a healer. And he yeah. has both of those components where he's loving people, he's laying down his life for people, he's serving people. And we need both. We need both of those things. Yeah. Um, as, as a campus minister who has a family, you have a wife, and you have two kids. You know, for me, I have one right now, and we're thinking about having yeah. a second one. We'll see what, what that goes. But how can we balance, you know, being a campus minister, being out there, sharing your faith like a crazy man, being bold, being evangelistic, serving yeah. on campus but then also loving your family and not yeah. just like you know ignoring your family and not just being there but not being present you know we we're called right. to love our wives to love our families and then we're also called to be evangelistic how do we yeah. do both of those things in the middle of the semester for sure man it's tough and like i said it it took us a while to really try to figure out a rhythm and now even going into this semester time with Westbrook, our son's going to go into preschool and, you know, Peyton's nap time changes. And so like, once you find a rhythm, then it changes. I know. Like, once you master, you're like, I'm master. And then the change, you're like, Oh no. Yeah. What? So, so I think it like in that, I think you, I think it helps just to be comfortable with, it's going to continue to evolve and change. Mm. Like I've got to, I've got to at each stage, just find the best, best rhythm, best way to go about this. You know, as we go along, it's not going to, I get frustrated sometimes because as a single man, I can like have my schedule and stick to it. And no one can stop me from it. But, but now I've got all these other things that seem to disrupt my schedule and, and I'm learning to be, uh, I guess, okay with that. Yeah. And, um, 
So that's one part. I think the other is really understanding what the biblical priorities are. My wife's first, my kids, my family is is next. And and ministry comes after that. Mm. And and it just it has to. And, and it, you know, I'm tempted to to work and to I think at times I can definitely let the desires for for ministry creep in and and kind of battle some of those um, relationship priorities there. But but I I really try to call myself back to right just the that's the that's the correct understanding is that my my wife my family comes first and I need to take care of that. Amen. I mean that's that's what honors God that's what pleases God. I can't I don't think I don't think I can be successful in ministry if I'm not a successful first in my home. Yeah. Um, even if we baptize a ton of people, I don't think I'm fulfilling my role if I'm neglecting my household. Absolutely. And so, so I think just understanding that and. And, and with that, that it, I, I think just the practical part of that is um, I'm not going to be able to crank out as many hours on campus as I would if I was single. And um, just got to yeah. rely on God to work through that. Yeah. And, and it's a matter of faith, right? It's a matter of just trusting yeah. God and just going, right. I'm going to work a certain amount of hours and hopefully you come through. Um, yeah. And so, but for you, you know, when you're in a funk, which book in the Bible do you just go to, you go, that's my go-to book. I'm not doing well spiritually. I, I'm not super where I want to be at spiritually. That's my go-to book. That's the book I just go to, to read, just kind of get myself back. Um, yeah. Feeling well spiritually. Yeah. I think it's probably, I don't know, changed over time. I mean, my, my favorite book as a young Christian used to be James. You know, it seems to be a lot of people's answers. It's just <laughs> like very, cut and dry, straightforward. Hey, do this and don't do that. And <laughs> it's, it's easy to follow. Um, but, um, man, I think there's just so much, there's so much in the scriptures, I think at different times and when I'm in different places, like different things are helpful. But, um, but if, if, if I could only pick like one book and I, I need some help and I need whatever, it's just going to be one of the gospels. I yeah. mean, flip a coin, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, whichever one it is. Um, I can, I, I could take that and, and, and that can, that can really help me wherever I'm at. So nice. that's, that's how I have to say. What are you reading right now in your quiet time? Just your walk of God. <sighs> I'm, I'm really, um, this, this summer I've been studying out the Holy spirit, um, amongst, amongst a few other things, but that's probably been the biggest focus. We've been talking about that as a church th this month here in August, our kind of sermon series, we're really, preaching and teaching about the Holy Spirit. And for me, that's been something that I feel like I haven't really understood well. Um, yeah. And, and I didn't, you know, I, I know the power of the Holy Spirit from a, from a knowledge standpoint, but like, how, how can I live in such a way where the Holy Spirit, where he's really powerfully active in my life and transforming me and, and working and bringing fruit into my life. And I think that's the part where I really just didn't really have much of a, a good grasp of, yeah. of, and, um, and, and what I still don't feel like I have a great grasp of, but I'm, I'm learning, you know, yeah. and, and I think that's like, if we really believe in the power of the Holy spirit, then, um, then it makes a lot of sense to, to figure out how to, how to let him loose, yeah. you know, in our lives. Yeah. I, you know, he is the neglected member of the Trinity, right? Like he created yeah. the world, right? Uh, he rose Jesus from the dead. Jesus yeah. is better for you to, I, I'm leaving the book of Acts can be called the book of the Holy Spirit, right? Because like totally. Jesus wasn't there, it was the Holy Spirit moving through the apostles. Um, yeah, we, the the Bible has been inspired by the Spirit, you know. And I I catch people saying it, you know, 
it's something I need to learn more about. I'm like, it's not an it. It's, you know, he's a person, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It always bothers me when people say the host bird is an it. It's not a dog. It's a, right. it's a, it's a, it's a, he's a being, you know? He's, yeah. He's, it's he, you know? It's not a... Absolutely. But, no, that's awesome, man. But this is the last question I asked you. Uh, yeah. How have you continued to make Jesus Lord over the years? You've been a disciple now, what is it, almost 13 years? Was it? 2009, yeah. So, yep, sounds right. Yeah. So, 13 years ago, you said Jesus is Lord. Are you baptism? Mm. Is this great tradition we have in our fellowship fellowship of churches when we say that in front of everyone publicly, and that's awesome. But yeah. then it's one thing to say Jesus is Lord. Are you baptism? It's a whole other thing to continue saying Jesus is Lord day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. How have you gone about continuing making Jesus Lord over the years? Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to keep giving you this same old boring answer, but the, the, the gospel is what it is. You know, if I can if I can be reminded of the gospel message daily, um, that's what's that's what's going to help me, you know, call on myself to continue to respond each day to that to the message that Jesus is king. And uh, and he proved it by his death and resurrection, you yeah. know, and all the hope, the promises, the blessings that come along with that is um, is it keeps you going. It, it, it's uh, encouraging. It's inspiring. It's challenging. And, and I think like, <clears throat> I think my, my understanding of what it means to take up your cross daily, mm. like that, I've realized even within this past couple months, like I really got to take that a lot deeper wow. uh, and, and live that out. And so I'm really trying to go after that. Like, whether it's in my marriage or parenting or ministry, whatever it is, but, but understanding and see, seeing Jesus and what the cross meant to him and what he went through in terms of taking up his cross and like really trying to live that out in my life. And Paul talks about, you know, I, w- I want to participate in, in the glory of Jesus, but also in the sufferings. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the second half, you know, that's, that's not as, uh, that's, that's, <laughs> that doesn't preach as well as the first part. Right? <laughs> and, uh, but I, but I want to. I mean, at least I, I want to want to yeah. <laughs> participate in the sufferings and in the divine nature. Um, and um, so I think that's what it is. I, I think secondarily is just having people in my life that um, that are also living it out and holding me accountable. Yeah. I think that's obviously Jesus. Uh, God sets up the church to be that for us. Yeah. And these, you know, so I, I think that's really vital is having those relationships. It's amazing, right? As a young Christian, you get baptized and you go, I want to carry my cross. And you do the discipleship study. And then you think carrying your cross is just, oh, I show up to church. I show up yeah, to faith. Yeah. And, then you, and then you start dating and then carrying your cross means something totally different. And then you start, you get married, it means something yeah. else, right? And then you have, you have one kid. And then carry your cross is like, oh man, this is this, yep. this is crazy, you know? <laughs> it's amazing that one scripture can mean different things for you at different sure. points of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's just the, the maturation, you know, as you go along, you really, you really understand better and on a deeper level what it means. Yeah. And then you call it to put, keep putting it into practice. Absolutely. Dude, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, you are just an inspiration to me, honestly. Uh, you're the one, one of the reasons why I went into the ministry, just seeing your life, seeing, how hard you worked and just seeing how you loved it. Uh, and now to see you there in Boise doing your thing. Um, as you start the semester year, I just pray that God continue to bless your ministry and bless you and Jenna. And I, I hope you guys have a great semester. Amen. 
dude. I appreciate it so much, Josephus, and grateful to be uh, be on the podcast as you're kicking things off here. So thanks a lot, man. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, hit the subscribe button and spread the word about it. See you next time.